it's funny that I'm a pastor, and Saturday nights and Sunday mornings are like my least favorite time of the week. And especially every Sunday between about 10.10 and 10.25 is the loneliest part of my week. For it's, it's in those 15 minutes after, you know, I've, I've backed the trailer up, and today was an adventure in backing the trailer up. Every week I think I'm going to get good and I never am. Uh, but after I've backed the trailer up, we set everything up, we've ran through the service, I've gone through my message, and we've prayed together, and there's nothing else for me to do except to wait and to wonder, will all the preparation, all the time, the energy, all the prayer and discernment, will it come to fruition with people actually showing up and, you know, being engaged? Rolando's engaged this morning, I can tell. <laughs> For someone like me who likes to be busy, for likes having things to do, for likes, it's just hard for me to just stand there and wait for people. Even now, can you tell I've got a lot of energy this morning? Those 15 minutes are the loneliest time of my life. The most lonely and the most isolating because there's nothing I can do except just stand around, pray, and wait. In every church leadership I've had, no matter the context, those 15 minutes, wherever the time frame looks like, before people start to show up, are the most lonely and isolating part of my life. I don't know what's going to happen, I don't know who's going to show up, whether it will work. Sort of the theme, I, theme of my life, I guess, as a, as a church planter is the word uh, people call people like me. My chosen profession as a church planter and a pastor and while entrepreneurs and, and church planters are often uh, admired in our society for being risk-taking and having an adventurous spirit, for startup entrepreneurs and especially church planters, reality is often hardly as glamorous as it's kind of portrayed to be on the outside. Uh, whether it's trying to grow a business or starting a new church from the ground up, the day-to-day -day work is often unattractive, humiliating, <laughs> confusing, tired, and lonely. And those are on the good days. Sorry, that was a little bit much, right? <laughs> Church planters often struggle with a strange kind of loneliness because statistics tell us that a surprising amount of people who, are, who come at the beginning and are engaged will eventually fizzle out in shockingly short time. And all these... You know, people you've invested your time and energy and life into often go away. And it's easy even for me to wonder, even this early on, am I alone in this? So it's on those days when attendance is down, when money is short, when energy is scarce, the doubt creeps in. I wonder, am I really doing what God wants me to do? Am I alone in this? I have to believe we've all felt this way at one point in our life, right? At one point or another, whether it be, you know, in the midst of challenges of starting a new business, a new job, a new relationship, really any endeavor that asks us to go into something new, into the unknown, and taking a step of faith, when things come up that challenge our initial assurances, we can really wonder, boy, did I make Great decision. <laughs> Buying a house. Did I make the right decision? 
man, I'm still regretting one. We have to talk about that later. 2008, not a good time to buy a house. 2006, actually, not a good time to buy a house. That's why those external metrics can be so helpful. We see our house, boom, taking off in value. We know, oh, I made the right decision. When we start a new business, people are flooding in the doors. I made the right decision. When we're starting a new job, immediately we're taken off in responsibility and uh, you know, authority. And we're like, man, I made the right decision. When we're starting a new relationship, everything flourishes. And we're like, yes, I made the right decision. But when those things don't come, or they don't come as fast as we want them to come, we can wonder... Am I alone in this? What happened? Man, especially as people of faith, we strive to follow the way of Jesus, and we seek God's direction in everything. It's easy to wonder whether or not we are really doing what God wants. After all, we've been sort of taught that if, we, if we're doing what God wants, things are just going to woo take off and click, and we're going to see immediate rewards, right? That house is going to take off, take off in value. Our business should boom, everyone, our new job should love us, our relationship should flourish. And when that doesn't happen, what do we do? I mean, what else can we really do except wonder, am I alone in this? Am I really following God's way? Shouldn't it be easier? Well, thankfully, the Bible does have something to say about this. So today we're, we're continuing our series on doubt, and we're looking at the story of Elijah. Has anyone ever heard of Elijah? Name ring a bell? A few? Elijah is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. So I, Elijah was an uh, ancient Old Testament prophet who lived a long time ago, uh, long even before Jesus lived, in a, obviously a time and a place very different than our own. So when you read the story of Elijah, there's some things you're like, oh, that's weird. But again, very different time and place. Um, now the thing is about, uh, when we think about prophets today, we think of prophets as someone who predicts the future, who can be like, you know, if you, when you leave this place, you're going to get like, it's going to start raining, or something like that. Uh, that's somewhat true of the role of prophets in the Bible. A better description would be a prophet in the biblical sense as a truth teller. Like someone who says, if you continue doing this and this, such and such is going to happen. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, it's guaranteed. I, I kind of thought of like anti-smoking ads as a good comparison. So if, if we watch anti-smoking ads, like I just saw one the other day, and it's like this guy, this young person has like his teeth falls out, these really graphic descriptions. Um, so such ads warn especially young people of the dangers of what can happen if you smoke. Now, obviously, these aren't guaranteed results. My, my wife's grandfather is, he's 90 or older, I think, and he's, he's literally been smoking his entire life. And, I mean, he's 90. So, n the point is, nothing is guaranteed. But the point is, is these ads and, like, Old Testament prophets, they're trying to tell a truth. If you keep smoking, more likely than not, bad things are going to happen. And this, this is what Elijah and people like him, prophets like him, were trying to do. They would examine the current situation, connect with God, and then kind of give their own analysis. Things needed to change or else. But here was the kicker. Elijah and those like him often had the unenviable task of telling this bad news to the king. 
being like, keep doing what we're doing, king, and our nation's going to get destroyed. Not so much fun. I mean, it's kind of like, I was thinking about it, kind of like the role of a climate scientist today. Those are popular people, right? Yeah, not very well received all the time, especially by those in positions of power. It was no different in Elijah's day, except uh, rather than being just shamed on social media or scorned on social media, uh, the king could say, off with your head, or, or whatever. So Elijah had this unenviable task of telling the king and the queen that they should stop worshiping other gods. So again, in this day and age where the king and queen could easily say, you're dead, Elijah, for telling me this, um, Elijah didn't have a very, Elijah struggled with this uh, task. So, um, Elijah had just went through this thing of, of this kind of really, uh, of telling this king and queen that they need to change their behavior, and wouldn't you know it, the king and the queen are like, we want to kill you. So he does, I guess, the obvious thing. He runs to the wilderness to escape. God finds him there and asks him, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing here? So let's, let's pick up the story from there. So if you'd like to follow along, I'll be reading from the uh, Old Testament book of First Kings, and I cheated and marked it, but uh, if you're slightly unfamiliar, it's way at the front of the Bible. There's First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. Uh, what am I forgetting? Man, it's Samuel, thank you. First Samuel, second I should know this better, but... Anyway, so we're in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to start uh, in verse, a little bit before verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. God said, Go out, stand on the mountain before God, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting the mountain and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sh sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, before we really move on, I need to give some backstory here for Elijah, because it's quite an interesting story. So, um, prior to the death threat, Elijah had just had this, this really kind of crazy uh, standoff with these false prophets. So, they were having this contest, I guess you will, about who, who was worshiping the real God. So, uh, they basically had, they, they said, we're going to build these two like competing Altars. Well, I don't know how you'd compare it. Like these huge giant bonfires, I guess, would be the most modern way to think about it. And um, so, like these prophets of these uh, false gods, they build this giant prof. They build, build this giant uh, altar, and then Elijah builds his 
giant altar. And Elijah, he's like, he's just like pouring it on. Literally, because he says, bring in some water, pour it on my bonfire. And the con and the really the challenge was to see who's who would be able to pray to their gods and whose bonfire would just whoosh, go up, right? So Elijah's just like pouring it on, saying, Hey, my God is better than your God, my God's the real God. Pour some water on, and we'll see who's who's the God, who's the man. I don't know. Um, so it's really quite an interesting story, but we won't go through it for now. But they're just going through this competition, and eventually Elijah says, God, can you show him who's boss? Fire comes down from heaven, thing gets burned up, and Elijah's like, king of the world, he's on top of the world. You know, Elijah won, false prophets, nothing. And it seemingly, as soon as that's over, when Elijah should be reveling in his success, you know, full of faith, pumped up about God's support, the carpet gets pulled out from him. The king tells the queen what happened, and the queen says, Elijah, you're dead meat. Not exactly how we want our victory celebration to begin. Elijah is understandably bummed and he thinks it's all over. He's alone. God has abandoned him. He thinks he's the only one left in his country doing good. So God says to him, Go stand on the mountain. I've got a message for you. Then there is this raging wind, like we saw, what, Tuesday and Wednesday, right? There's this powerful earthquake. There's this intense fire. But the kicker is, again, nothing for Elijah. No message from God. So he comes out of the cave, and he just hears nothing. And to, to, be, to be, depending on which translation of your Bible, some will say there was a still small voice, some will say it was just the sound of sheer silence. Interpreters are mixed on uh, the original Hebrew. But there wasn't what he expected, we'll say that much. God wasn't in any of these great works of nature, and this would have again disappointed Elijah because that was the expected way that God would communicate through raging fire, through powerful wind, through strong earthquake. But then there was nothing, no message. And Elijah is left standing there alone, or so he thinks. But surprisingly, after things settle down, Elijah hears God speaking to him again, asking, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah goes into his same song and dance again. I've been faithful, I've done what you asked, but I'm now all alone. And God's response really is not that inspiring. God says, get back to work. You're not alone. There are sev still 7,000 people faithfully following. Not a very inspiring pep talk in my mind. You know, maybe you're here this morning and like me, you can relate to Elijah. You've been faithfully following, plugging along at work or at your job, waiting for your big break. You've been working for good, working for justice so long in this world and it seems like things are only getting worse. 
You've been investing yourself in relationships that don't seem to be improving. And you feel like you're all alone. I get it. That's literally me every single Sunday morning. God, is this really what you've called me to do? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Why does it feel like I'm all alone? Like me, you want some signs of success. Here's the thing. I don't don't like this thing, but I think this is the thing. Those external signs that we're so taught to look for, a raging fire, the great wind, the powerful earthquake, those amazing signs that were expected to be signs of God that were just plain old nature, it's often the same today. I mean, to be real, sometimes uh, just because people have success doesn't really actually mean it's from God. I mean, if we're, we're, if we're being real, sometimes the things we see as success today are often just the result of injustice and unfairness. People cheating their way to the top. As I read Scripture, success in God's eyes has always been faithfulness. I want to say that again. Success in God's eyes has always been faithfulness. Keeping on when the going gets tough. Doing the right thing when the right thing is not popular. Man, that's a hard one. Staying true to God's ways. And what I think is true is that when, when you are faithful, staying true to that faithfulness, you'll find others who are alongside you doing that work, telling you to keep going, that you're not alone. So know you're not alone. Know that God is with you and we're with you. And to me, this is why church is so important. To each other and to you and to me, because we are a community, a people, trying to do the right thing trying to follow God's way. And man, it can be hard sometimes. We're trying to do the right thing for our families, for our communities, for our nation, for ourselves. And so often it seems, despite our best efforts, the right thing is not winning. I mean, if anything, it seems like it's losing. Let's be real here. I mean, it seems like every week is just another scandal, another story about how the people how those in power seem to be cheating their way to the top and those trying to make a better life for themselves and their communities are losing. But this is the truth about God and God's ways. God chooses the unlikely one, the second son, the barren woman, the one seeming beyond redeeming. God chooses those people. And God works slowly and surely. Jesus compared it to like a mustard seed. A mustard seed that grows into this plant, not this big, powerful oak, but this mustard seed that just keeps growing and spreading. Impossible to stop. It's not flashy or powerful, not a, not a powerful earthquake or strong wind or raging fire, but it keeps spreading. It's God's presence that never leaves us. God is always with us. So perhaps it's not a surprise that there wasn't a powerful message 
for Elijah that day. Because the message was then the same as it had always been. I'm here. God is here. God says, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. So get back to work. That's a hard one sometimes, let's be real. But in the midst of our doubt and our uncertainty, when we confess our misgivings to God, being real about our doubts, the message will be the same. I'm here for you. I love you. I'll never leave. Keep going. I've got you. We need to hear those words from God. I need to hear those words from God. We need to be a place, mission gathering, that proclaims these words of God. Because again, there's been, there's so much in our nation, in our communities, in our world that just seems to be, makes us feel isolated, makes us feel alone, makes us feel like, why are we even doing this? Why are we even trying? When we join together as a community, we might be small in numbers, but we can do powerful things. And as by, as by being here, we are a testament. We are a witness. We're proclaiming the good news that God is here. God is with us. God loves us, and we are not alone. It's basic, it's simple, but it's good news. And that's why I'm so thrilled to be able to share this good news, and I invite you to share that good news. And that's what we're trying to do here at Mission Gathering. And we believe that's news that we need to continue to share. So I invite you to do that. That God is here for us. God loves us. God will never leave us. Keep going, God says. I've got you. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Amen.